share a few things with you on this Easter and, uh, and, and just talk a little bit about, about the cross. And, and then we're going to have some family time and take some communion, have some more worship. It'll be, it'll be good. Um, now, some of you may know uh, I have one Easter message. Uh, I don't change it much. We're on like, we just keep doing it. It was that good. When I wrote it, I was like, done. That's the best Easter message that's ever been written. <laughs> Why change it? I don't know. Uh, no, I, I love this message, and um, it's near and dear to my heart. It's also so, I think it's just so important to who we are as a people uh, of living waters and, and what we believe and how we, how we approach our relationship through Jesus with the Father and, and our intimacy with the Spirit. And, but the, the gist of my message on Easter is really I want to talk with you about what, what happened on the cross and, and really what didn't happen on the cross. And, and I know you're like, but pastor, did, Easter's about resurrection. Um, and I know that's not what you sound like. I'm sorry, I'm not saying that's what. <laughs> that's, oh yeah, that's not what I hear in my head when I see you, I promise. That's, <laughs> that's not the voice, the voice of the people. But pastor, <laughs> why are you preaching that? Um, okay, so uh, while I'm goofing off, middle schoolers, uh, head over. We have um, things for you. Yes. Yeah, middle schoolers. Give it up for middle schoolers. The most confident you'll ever be in life. Um, okay. So. like, oh no, is this really true? Oh no, no, it's not true. I'm kidding. Uh, anyway, I know that Easter is about celebrating the resurrection and I, and I love that. And, but I think that if we understand what happened on the cross and what didn't happen on the cross, we're going to be able to better celebrate and understand Easter and the resurrection and really what we are focused on as we, as we celebrate Easter together. And so I love this, the heart of this message and looking at Psalm 22, if you want to jump there, uh, I'm going to read it. If you don't want to jump there and you just want to listen to it, I'll be, I'm going to move there in just a minute. But the reason I will gladly preach this repeatedly is that it dismantles a lot of toxic Christianity that I think we all have if we've been around long enough. I think it challenges some, some unhealthy but pervasive views of God, the way we picture God, and I think it invites me every year. It invites us. It invites all of us into continued freedom in our relationship with Jesus, and that's why he came, that, that you would be free and truly free. So the three words of the cross is what I call this message. And it's, it just highlights and focuses on three of the things that Jesus said while he was on the cross. And next week, if you join us, we're going to be together at, um, we're going to do one gathering starting next week at 10 o'clock. And um, I'm going to do a lot of the background of uh, some of the, a little bit of the foundations of who we are at Living Waters, um, some of our, our core beliefs, core scriptures, and processing even some of the covenantal journey next week we'll be talking about that brought us up to Jesus and, and his life and, and his blood poured out and what that meant for inaugurating an, a new covenant and, uh, and a new kingdom that he, he gave us, the keys of the kingdom. So there's a lot of background that I am, am looking forward to talking about. Nothing, nothing says come back next week like we're going to talk a lot of historical background. It's going to be great. Jeez. Everybody's here for Easter, and my big sales pitch is come next week. We'll do historical context. It'll be great. 
Shoot. Ah, and there will be $50 on every seat. Um, so next week we'll talk a little bit more about it. But, but for today's message, I want, us, I, I want us to just put ourselves in that. And I know you've probably been reflecting on it this morning of, of Jesus' journey to the cross. And last week we talked about how he came into Jerusalem and everybody was so excited for Jesus to arrive because he had fulfilled all these messianic miracles. He had fulfilled all these prophetic words. They'd seen miracles and signs and wonders through Jesus' life. And he had all these followers and Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And they were, so they had this big group of people they're all pumped Jesus is coming and he's gonna he's gonna be our our earthly savior they thought he was gonna be a king or a political solution so they're all so excited for Jesus and and that's where the palm frongs and all this stuff is going on and and the city receives Jesus and 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 then over the course of a week Jesus doesn't step into the role that they expect him to step into the way that they want him to step into it. And as they encounter disappointment after disappointment with the way that Jesus is going about leading a kingdom, and we, we know because he was, he was leading an eternal kingdom, and they wanted, a, they wanted a physical kingdom, a temporary kingdom. They wanted an overthrow, a kingdom that was oppressing them. And Jesus was like, I'm doing something so much greater than what you can imagine. And so they were disappointed over and over and over again by Jesus. And by the end of the week, this city that had celebrated Jesus was actually saying, arrest him. And then they were saying, crucify him, and he was put on trial. And so at the, by the end of the week, we have Jesus. Now he's been put on this mock trial. He's been beaten beyond recognition. Scripture says he's had a, a, thorn, of, a, a thorn of crowns, also a crown of thorns, uh, put on his head and pounded into his head. He's, he's, they have put this robe on him and mocked him and torn his clothes and, and whipped his back until there's bones showing through his back and he's barely alive. And then they drag him through the streets and they make him carry his cross through the streets. And, and, and eventually he can't carry his cross anymore and somebody else has to carry it for him. And, and they get to, the, to the, spot, the spot where they're crucifying him and they lift him up or they lay him down on the cross and they hammer nails through his wrists and, and through his feet and and they raise him up on the cross and they continue to mock him and spit on him and laugh at him and they put a sign over him and they, and they say things to him like, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you get yourself down from the cross? Like, would, you know, heal yourself. And, and so people are mocking him and he's, he's at this point just been so beaten and so tired and hungry and thirsty and just getting a breath is almost impossible to have to pull himself up on the nails and, and lift himself up to get a breath. And, 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 and all of this is taking place. And while this is taking place, the, the soldiers who have, have crucified him are on the ground and they've taken Jesus' last possession and some of his clothes and, they've, and they're gambling for his clothes. And they're, they're, the ultimate mockery is like, this is the last of your possessions and we're dividing it among us and there's nothing that you can do about it. And so if, you, if, you, if this can set the scene for us this morning, uh, I want to talk about three things that Jesus said from that, from that place and why, why he said what he said. And um, these three words that are forgiven, forsaken, and finished. And the first one is forgive. Luke 23, 34 recounts this moment where Jesus, having all of this taken place, having received that, our sinning into him, and what it looks like is just he's mangled and, and, and torn and tortured, and we're, we're gambling for his clothes and his possessions, and, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let this sink into us for a moment that Jesus is forgiving his murderers while they are murdering him. And I know you want to pat on the back for like letting that person that cut you off go into traffic. Um, good job. But for a moment, let's imagine, we can't, but let's just put ourselves in that place of what a profound act of forgiveness 
that God did through Jesus to be able to say, as you are spitting on me, beating me, stealing from me, and killing me, I forgive you. And I want that to resonate in this room this morning. I want it to hit on every single life in here, on every single heart in here, that we would understand that because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of Jesus' willingness to go to the cross, because of Jesus' choice to forgive instead of extract revenge, he released forgiveness to those who did that to him. But he also, by extension, released forgiveness to all of us that we are all forgiven through Jesus' choice to release forgiveness. And it's such a powerful truth, even to those who are murdering him and even to those of us who may feel like we are so far from him today. I don't know where you're at today or where these words find you, but I want you to know that if Jesus can forgive someone who is murdering him, he can forgive you no matter how far you feel like you've walked from him. There is no distance. Remember, we talked about the prodigal son a few weeks ago and, and how he, he took the inheritance from his father. He went and squandered it. He used it all. He got to the point where he was starving and alone. And he said, you know what? I'm living with pigs in slop. It's better that I go back to my father's house. I'll be a servant. I don't need my title. I don't need my identity. I don't need my anything. I'll just be a servant. And he, and, he, and, he, and he goes, okay, I'm going to go back to the Father. And this verse ever since then has just resonated with me when I'm thinking about the, 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 the distance that Jesus will go to forgive and how he forgives us no matter where we find ourselves. It says, the son got up and he went to his father. And hear this phrase, but while he was still a long way off. So often we feel like we have to strive back to God to be able to be forgiven. And I want you to hear this, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've gone through. Just making that simple choice to say, I want to go back to my father. That he's watching for you. He's waiting for you. And even while you're a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Too often, the reason I love preaching this message is we have to change what the father's face looks like when we come to him for forgiveness. Do we see conviction and judgment and disappointment or do we see compassion? Because who's gonna come to a father who looks like they're waiting to beat you or disappointed in you or so angry at you? But when we see a father who is waiting and while we're still far off, he sees us and says, I see you, son. I see you, daughter. And his face is filled with compassion. And what does he do? He runs and he throws his arms around him and he kisses him and he brings him back into his home and into his family. That's the beginning. That's the inception point of our relationship with God. All of the other stuff that results as discipleship and following Jesus, all of that comes later. It has to be at the core of our relationship with God has to be this understanding that Jesus who forgives those who murdered him, Jesus forgives those of us no matter what we have walked through, forgives us. And no matter how far we feel, he's watching for us with compassion that he would run and throw his arms around us. We can change, but we cannot change out of behavior. We cannot change out of religious modification or rules we have to follow. We have to be able to change because we realize that we are loved sons and daughters and that we're giving our life, our authority of our life over to him because he loves us and we trust him with our lives. 
The second word that Jesus spoke from the cross was this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken is that word that I want you to highlight. And he speaks this in Matthew 27, 46. Why did Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man, if we believe that, that the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit exist in triunity and that Jesus is the bodily representation of God, that, that if we've seen Jesus, we've seen God. If, if that's the case, then why when Jesus was hung on the cross, when, we, when he took our sins and, and, and he was hung on the cross, why does he say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I know if you've been around church any length of time, you've probably been taught that this is your fault. Um, I joke, I'm sorry. You've probably been taught, let me say it a nicer way. You've probably been taught that it was because God was so disappointed in your sin that he had to pour it all into Jesus and that he poured his wrath out on Jesus and he turned his back on Jesus in that moment as a punishment for your sin. That's not what took place. And I want us to understand that today as we celebrate Easter. And it also wasn't because God couldn't look on sin. We've been taught that, oh, God had to turn from Jesus because he became sin and God can't look on sin. Oh, yeah, like how Jesus walked the earth and never looked at any sinners. Yeah, I remember that part of the story where he wouldn't eat dinner with like the prostitutes or the Pharisees or the tax collectors, that, that part of Jesus that wouldn't look on sin. No, no, not at all. This is not, this is not the reality Jesus said, I will come into your place of sin. I will come into the place of brokenness. I will come into the darkness and I will find you to seek and save that which is lost. He is looking for the places that need redemption and restoration in our lives. So God didn't turn away from Jesus because he couldn't look on sin. And it wasn't because he was pouring his wrath out on Jesus. Understand this, that Jesus wasn't a whipping boy who took a punishment for us. He wasn't rescuing you from the wrath of a vindictive God or a father. He came to reveal a God who has always been with us, has always been loving us, and has always been forgiving us, and has always been pursuing us. Give me five seconds to make sure that your mind is thoroughly blown. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross to forgive you. The reason that he went to the cross is because the religious people got so upset that Jesus was walking around forgiving people. Yeah. We'll talk about it another day. <laughs> so why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is because it is the first line of Psalm 22. And in Speaking that first line of Psalm 22, being beaten beyond recognition and tired and thirsty and hurting, he doesn't have the capacity to, to say the whole psalm. So he points his followers to Psalm 22 that they would go, oh, I recognize that lyric. And in recognizing that lyric, they would go back and they would read this psalm. And I want to read the whole thing to you today so you can read along or you can sit back and allow this to speak to you of what Jesus was actually saying that day on the cross. Because when he references one line of Psalm 22, what he's saying to them is, go look at the entire thing. And for those of you that have studied and read and, and, and looked at the crucifixion of Jesus, you're gonna find so many parallels and prophetic mentions of what took place on the cross while I read this. It says this, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find by night, but I find no rest. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Jesus was entirely alone in this moment. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open, their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. God, forgive us for ever teaching that you turned your back on your son on the cross. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. People not yet born will be told the Lord saved his people. They will tell people yet to be born about his righteousness. And how does it end? That he has finished it. How, right? Come on. Wrote that myself. So, 
<laughs> so wild that this written generations before, as Jesus is on the cross, citing this psalm so that we can go and read it, so that his followers could go and read it and recognize what was fully taking place on the cross. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. God didn't turn his back on Jesus. It wasn't his wrath or his anger or his hatred of sin that was on display that day on the cross. It was his love, it was his forgiveness, and it was his victory. 2 Corinthians 5.19, so where was God then? For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. The cross didn't break the Trinity, it revealed it. And it revealed the lengths that God would go to forgive his people and to pursue you and me. So let's not, as we celebrate Easter, let's be careful that we don't pit God against Jesus in some kind of cosmic battle where God's wrath kills his son and then invite people to this God to say, don't you too wanna come into his family? He only killed one of his sons because he was so mad at you about your sin. But this is what we invite people to. When we invite people on the case of fear or hell or whatever else it is, we're not preaching a true and simple gospel. A true and simple gospel is this. God loved you so much that he sent his son, even knowing that it would mean death to his son. If you just believe in Jesus, did you have eternal life? That's the invitation. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And we've turned it into something where people are literally beginning their relationship with God out of response of fear and then are confused why the entirety of their life is consumed with fear. The fuel that we use to begin any relationship is the fuel that will sustain it until we stop and change it out completely. And it has to be done. And why not Easter for the time to celebrate that? I don't want people to come to know Jesus. I don't want people to come to know my God because they're afraid of him or they're afraid of eternity, isolated from him or any of those things. I just want you to know that he loves you and he calls you home. God never turned his back on Jesus when he took on all sin and he will never, ever turn his back on you. Psalm twenty-two, thirty-one: people not yet born will be told the Lord saved his people will tell you yet to be born, those yet to be born, about his righteousness, that he has finished it. And that's the last phrase that I want to look at this morning on this Easter is John 19.30, where Jesus says it's finished. It's the most wonderful and powerful declaration ever spoken by Jesus on the cross. It is finished. Everything is done. What I have come to accomplish is accomplished. I have done the will of my Father and I've walked out the path and it is all finished. And now there is no longer sin or shame or darkness or guilt or accusation that stands against anyone that Jesus hasn't taken, nailed it to the cross, overcoming spiritual authorities and darkness, publicly displaying his victory over them at the cross, that we will always be able to look to the cross to remember that Jesus finished it on our behalf and has invited us into his life and into his victory.
Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has accomplished a reconciling event that changed history, and it changed my life. And of course, we pray that it is changing yours. He came in this love to reconcile us to the Father, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are made new. The old things have passed away, and new things have come. And all of these things, they're not from your effort. All of these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus. So if you're here this morning, I want to talk to you, a couple groups of people. If you're here and you haven't given your yes to Jesus, I want to give you the big, the big altar call, the same way that Jesus did. This was Jesus' big altar call. He was walking along one day, and he saw some guys who were fishing, and he said to them, hey, come and follow me. And they were like, well, you got to play some organ music or something if you're going to call me down to the front. Like, <laughs> what about the 35 minutes of guilt? And shame about my sin and how I need to turn or burn or whatever. Like, where's all that? Like, Jesus, come on, man. Don't you know how an altar call works? Don't you know how, how you get somebody to change their life? Jesus' is altar call. Hey, come and follow me. And they put down their life. They put down their stuff. They disengaged to engage. They laid down their nets and they followed Jesus. And Jesus didn't hit him with a pamphlet. He didn't hit him with like a, a folder of how this is what you got to do. No 12-step program of discipleship. He didn't do that. He just said, come and follow me. Walk with me. Know me. Experience me. Be with me. Let my life rub off on your life. And before long, you'll be doing the things that I'm doing the way that I'm doing them. And even when I'm gone, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And you're going to continue to do those things. Just come and follow me. Yeah, but what about all the behavior things that I need to change? Or I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a fish like I don't always talk that great <laughs> come and follow me you know what maybe some of that stuff works its way out but there's not a barrier that you got to jump over Jesus says come and follow me so if you've never said yes to Jesus here's all I want you to hear today is that Jesus would stand before you and he would say I've taken care of every obstacle it is finished. I've taken care of everything. Your guilt, your shame, your past, your failure, your mistakes, your whatever, your whatever. Come and follow me. Come follow me. And that's what the beginning point of a relationship with Jesus looks like is simply a yes to Jesus to say, I will let down whatever I'm holding on to and I will come and I will follow you. So I, I, there's a slide I think we're going to throw up here on the screen. And, you know, this may feel a little bit weird, but I've thought a lot about this. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to do it right now, do it later. But this phone number never changes for anything that we do. So the same thing that you text loop to, the same thing that you text information for, all that stuff, the same number. If you just text follow to that number, what it allows to happen is for us to connect with you individually and to walk this out with you. Like, I would love to say, hey, let's all close our eyes. Raise your hand if you want to follow Jesus. Put your hand down. And then I do a closing prayer. And everybody's out the door before I even have a chance to connect with people. What this allows to do, and I hope it doesn't feel, you know, anyway, whatever. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I care. Um, what I care about, <laughs> you ever apologize for something and you realize halfway through, you're like, I don't, I really don't care. What I, what I, 
What I care about is that if somebody's here and they want to follow Jesus, that I get to connect with them and talk with them and pray with them and share some stuff with them about, about walking it out. So, so if that's you, or if you're like, hey, you know what? I came to Jesus based on fear. Like, it was a, it was a, it was a crazy bait and switch. Like, come on. Um, <laughs> he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Come in here. He hates you. You're a sinner. What's wrong with you? I don't know what's going on. Sorry, that's not funny. Some of you are like, dude, come on. Hey, if it's time for a fresh, new revival to your relationship with God through Jesus, and it's going to begin with him just saying, come follow me. I took care of everything on the cross. Come and follow me. Receive this gift of eternal life. Come and follow me. Then shoot, text that, and let's, let's try it a different way. Let's try it a different way. And for those of us who have given our yes to Jesus. I have an Easter word for you. And so while I teach a similar message every, every Easter, um, I do have spent some time this week just saying, okay, God, but what are you speaking to us specifically as followers of Jesus? What, what can we do this Easter? Because I shared last week, one of the things I love about Easter is that it marks, um, is that it just marks, stop saying Easter's. Um, is that it, somebody whispering Easter's over here. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it. Uh, maybe it's just bouncing around inside my little, my little subconscious. It's little. It's very small. Um, oh, the Easter has this opportunity to mark your yearly journey with the Lord. And it's a reminder of like, what have you walked through? What has this year been? What are the highs? What are the lows? Where has God shown himself to be faithful? And so I think Easter is this beautiful time within our calendar to, to mark those journeys. And sometimes that's extremely painful, but it's so important that we're able to do that. And so I was asking the Lord, what's a, what's a word for us this Easter? And this is the word for you for us, and it's this, tap back in, tap back in. I wanna read a quote that I saw, and I wanna see if it resonates with you like it did with me. This is John Mark McMillan, he wrote, uh, he's written a lot of uh, great songs, and, um, and he said this, I'm not proud, but at some point during the pandemic, I tapped out. Not like I developed a major addiction or blew my savings on a horse race, but I stopped trying. I disengaged, and for a long while, you could say the pinwheel of death was spinning on the screen of my laptop. I was physically present, but not available. I was not emotionally and spiritually available to God or others or myself. I had tapped out. And the invitation, as I read that, I, I of course, was like, man, in my life, there's places where, where I've tapped out, where I've, I'm like, okay, God. I think I'm done in this spot or I'm done in that spot, spot. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's those moments where God says, let's, let's jump back into this spot. Let's step back into this area. Let's have hope again for that relationship. Let's have this, let's go after that moment, that opportunity again. Let's talk to that person or build that thing or whatever it is. It's when he begins to pull on us that we discover that we are maybe far more tapped out than we realized. And we're like, I, 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 can't, I got nothing. And I believe that the invitation of resurrection life is to fill us afresh so that when he says tap into this area, physically, mentally, emotionally, that we have his resurrection life to draw from. Not our own depleted sources, but that we're drawing from his resurrection life. Luke 24, 1 through 12. What does it look like for us to tap back in? 
This is the story of Easter morning. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the womb, to the tomb. fine. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. You can't laugh when I say Lord Jesus. You guys, come on. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, they stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. They're like, oh, that is what Jesus said. You're right. So when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and all the other disciples who were gathered. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like, to them, like nonsense. Imagine this, this life that they're, they're in, sitting in, in this moment. When this news arrives, they've been following Jesus. Remember, they laid down their life, and he said, come and follow me. They've been following Jesus for three years. They've been doing everything with him, traveling with him, spending time with him, doing ministry with him, seeing miracles, signs and wonders. They're seeing these messianic miracles taking place and they're going, oh my gosh, maybe it's possible that Jesus is who he says he is. Maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he is the Savior. Maybe he is the anointed one. And they began to believe and to believe and more and more they lived their life with Jesus and surrender to Jesus and trust in Jesus. And then finally at the culmination of this journey with Jesus, he's coming into Jerusalem and everybody's cheering him and they're like, this is the moment moment we get our thrones and our crowns and we get to be we're going to be like governors of all the different provinces it's going to be amazing and this is awesome and then in one week Jesus is dead and they're sitting there with a life that was completely built on following Jesus and now Jesus is gone he's he didn't just leave he's dead and they're sitting there despondent and hopeless feeling sorry for themselves probably doing nothing. And the disciples who were at the tomb, these women came and they came into the room and they said, Jesus is not in the tomb. He's gone. Remember what he said? He said that this would happen. He's alive. He's alive. And they were all, forget about it. It sounds like nonsense. None of them could tap back in in that moment except for one. What did it look like to tap back in? Peter, however, he got up and he ran to the tomb. I believe that in tapping back in, there's places in your life where you're sitting around recounting the story of all that you've done, all that we paid, all the costs we did. We did, can you believe we did this? For three years, we got suckered in. We did the following him everywhere. We did the stuff and now he's gone. Or we sit around places in our life and we tell the same story over and over and over and over again. But the resurrection life of Jesus interrupts that and says, you know what? He's not done in this area. There's still redemption in this area. There's still opportunity in this area. There's still something here for him to be at work. He is not dead. He is not gone. He is alive. He's still at work. And the part of our lives that we have tapped out completely is going to go, that is foolish talk. Get out of here with that. But there is going to be that still 
Still small voice, wow. There's gonna be that little place inside of us that says, wait, I've tapped out for the last couple of years in this area. It's time to tap back in. And the sound that you're gonna hear of a life tap back in is probably gonna be those running feet, running back to the places where you've given up hope, running back to the places where you've said it's never gonna change, it's never gonna be different. This is the story, this is how it ends. I wanna see us running to those places believing that Jesus is still at work. That's what it looks like for you and for me to tap back in. So I'm gonna have the worship team come up and join us and lead us in a time of corporate worship for a, for a bit, but we're also gonna take communion. And in the instructions that we have in scripture is that anytime we come together, that we would have communion. And so that's why we always have communion out is that we can remember the completed work of Jesus, his body broken, beaten for us that we would be made whole, his blood poured out that we would be brought into a new covenant, removed from the old covenant, that we would be forgiven. And so as we take communion, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take communion this morning as an exchange thinking of the areas where you maybe have tapped out and that as you go to take communion, remembering the resurrection life of Jesus, that as you go there, that you would even hear your feet hitting the ground and you would think about Peter running to the tomb, tapping back in. And that as you go to make that exchange in this communion to say, God, I'm taking places where I've tapped out. I'm grabbing a hold of your resurrection life and I'm tapping back in. It's time for us to do that, church. And so if you would, um, you have the freedom to take communion individually, together, as a family, however you want to do it. I'm going to pray for us, and then, I'll, and then you guys can, can have this time of communion. And then we're going to come back together for a time of worship, um, believing that there's a song on our hearts that is, is perfect for this, this moment and to send us out into the rest of our Easter day. Jesus, we thank you for what you accomplished. It's more than we could ever comprehend to even try to talk about what you did, what you accomplished through your life and your death, through your resurrection, your enthronement, your outpouring of your spirit, to even try to talk about it, God, it's beyond the ability of words to, to even teach it or sum it up. But we thank you for this opportunity to come to communion, to this table, to remember your body and your blood and the sacrifice, and the taking on of sin, and the removing of every obstacle, the reconciliation, and the invitation as sons and daughters to your table. And so as we take the bread today, that we remember your body. As we take the cup, we remember your blood. And we ask that this day, this communion, this time of worship, would be made in a choice of places where we're sitting around despondent because things didn't turn out the way we wanted them to and we've tapped out, but this communion would be a tapping back in, emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever it is, relationally, we tap back in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and take communion. If you haven't already, there's tables over here. There's a larger table over here that has quite a bit on it. There's some back there as well for you. Just take that at your, at your leisure.
Burning buildings, barren trees, hopelessness that started to wreak havoc. Son of man, I know you see deepest depth unknown to me. You have planted seeds among the ashes. You rebuild, you restore all that's broken from the
last few moments. Just respond to the restorer, the redeemer, Jesus. You raise beauty. put thanks on your lips for your personal journey with Jesus. Maybe it started today, maybe it started 40 years ago, but let's just take a moment and just thank the Lord for the journey we're on with Him, following Him. It's not a perfect journey. It's not a journey where you say once, yes, yes, once, and it's all clear from there on out. There's lots of mountains and valleys, but it's a following, it's a constant, continuing to follow. So we just remember our yes to you, Jesus. Oh, you picked me up and you turned me around. You placed my feet on 
picked me up and you turned me around and you placed my feet on solid ground hallelujah and you're still doing that today hallelujah oh you you picked me up and you turned me around and you placed my feet on that solid ground hallelujah hallelujah do you have a hallelujah inside you you picked me up and you turned me
Yeah, Jesus, we thank you for the miracle working God that you are and for this celebration of Easter. God, we thank you that you're the God that never turns away from us, that's always with us, always available, coming close. And we just pray that there would be just such an understanding of that love that Ryan spoke of today. Any places where we need to exchange the way we thought of who you are, God, that it would shift today. We just bless our family, whether you're here in the room or you're online watching or watching this later, just bless you with a fresh revelation of what Jesus has done for you and who he is. And we just say yes to that invitation to tap back in as a family, that we're tapping back in in places where we've been tapped out. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, happy Easter, family. We love you guys. Feel free to go get your kids. We're gonna just worship a couple more minutes in here, say hi to each other. But um, yeah, enjoy the rest of your Easter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 